Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. My name is Robin Maggio, representing the National Resource Center on ADHD, and I'd like to welcome you to our webcast, Home Life When Mom or Dad Has ADHD, Succeeding with Your Family, with our guest expert, Caroline McGuire. The National Resource Center on ADHD is a partnership between CHAD and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that serves as the national clearinghouse for the latest evidence-based information on ADHD. Today's webcast is part of our Ask the Expert series, giving the community access to lead clinicians, researchers, and other ADHD professionals. Ms. McGuire is a personal coach who works with children with ADHD and the families who support them. She is a certified coach by both the ADD Coach Academy and the International Coach Federation and has a Master's of Education from Lesley University. Her revolutionary coaching program and methodology helps teach executive function skills to children, teenagers, and young adults. In addition to her private practice, Ms. McGuire also speaks at various venues throughout the world on topics related to coaching children and young adults with ADD, ADHD, learning disorders, or social skills challenges. Once, we, once again, we are pleased to welcome this afternoon's guest expert, Caroline McGuire. Ms. McGuire, if you'd like to begin. I'd love to. Thank you so much. Um, all right, everyone. I'm so excited to be here today. I have uh, a long history with Chad. I'm a parent-to-parent um, teacher, and um, we're going to start out on our first page with a slide that actually has a picture of a little bit of chaos. Um, this is a picture uh, a real client of mine sent me uh, when I told her I was speaking at Chad last year. She was kind enough to send me this picture. And the picture just illustrates um, what she determined was the, the uh, choke point of the house, which was shoes. Uh, shoes and mudroom and chaos, and it caused a lot of emotional upheaval, a lot of drama, a lot of lateness, um, and this is the kind of thing that a lot of us with ADHD um, experience as parents um, because we have to manage ourselves and other people. Um, so this is a real picture, um, and, you know, I think one of the biggest things I want to say is that we're all on a journey, and it's really important that we all get to know ourselves um, and come to understand as much scientifically-based information as we can, um, and that's part of what we're going to do here today, and then there are many, many other great talks through Chad that can help you on this journey. Um, I am Caroline McGuire, and um, I want you all to know that there's no judgment here. People can ask questions during the question portion, and also just understand that I'm a mother with ADHD. Um, I was diagnosed when I was 12, a long, long time ago in the 80s, um, and uh, back then they told me that I would outgrow it uh, because I was a girl. So, you know, I still haven't, and I'm not going to. Um, the other thing is that I work and have for the past 12 years with a lot of families, and a lot of times the parents and their own struggles um, are a huge piece of helping the children move forward. Um, I was a Hollowell Center coach for a long time um, and uh, learned a ton 
working for Ned Hollowell and, and with the other clinicians. Um, I run a coaching program that just launched um, about um, teaching coaches how to work with families and children at the ADD Coach Academy. And um, I'm sometimes an attention talk radio guest host, which is just really a lot of fun. And I get to interview wonderful experts, and I learn so much. Um, I have my master's in education from Wesley University here in the Boston area where I live. Um, and my actual focus for my self-designed master's was executive function and social skills and and all of the things that go into that. Um, and I have a book coming out in 2017 called Why Will No One Play With Me? And it is a guidebook for parents um, who have children struggling with social skills and are looking for some help and um, some tips and strategies to become their child's playdate coach and, and work with these things on the spot. Um, and uh, one of the things that inspired this talk for me was a client of mine who had ADHD and was really struggling um, to manage everything. And you know, what ended up happening was she came to my office and she said that her whole family had kind of reached a crisis point. Um, they were at activities all the time. I think kids' lives are very demanding nowadays. And she was struggling to manage the executive function and the management of um, the kids' lives, her life, and they were, you know, eating pizza every night and ending up 8 o'clock kids doing their homework. And the kids were melting down because um, smaller kids can't do their homework at 8 o'clock at night, and a lot of times ADHD kids can't do their homework at 8 o'clock at night to start after a long day of activities. Um, so part of what this talk is really about is when you're faced with these kind of situations, what can you as an ADHD person do? Well, the first thing you're doing right now is getting information, and that's so important. Um, I think part of what causes this chaos chaos is our um, obviously unique brain wiring, but it's the, the things that happen, right? It's the disorganization and the piles and my, my client's, um, you know, shoe situation that would lead to people not able to find two matching shoes and, and the lateness. Um, a lack of routines. Um, it's not something that comes easily to a lot of ADHD parents. Procrastination. You don't send in those camp forms. They don't get in. You have to pay a late fee or you have to find a different solution. Um, and that sort of ripple effect is a huge um, theme that I talk about. Um, Over-promising and under-delivering obviously is, is a, a struggle for many of us. Um, Over-packed schedule. You know, nowadays um, kids have so much going on. Families have so much going on. But... You know, as you get to know your ADHD and your spouse's ADHD, if that's the case, sometimes transitions are not easy for us, and we have a little bit of that cognitive inflexibility depending on the person. And overpacked schedules can lead to more chaos. Um, the one more thing syndrome, sending that last email, that one more thing, and then being late, poor follow-through, um, inconsistent discipline and rules. So... Um, a lot of what this talk is going to focus on is communication strategies because part of what ends up happening with um, a parent or both parents with ADHD is the inconsistency and, and the messaging and the communication kind of falls apart due to our um, poor emotional control and 
we're communicating anger, we're a little bit impulsive and compulsive, and that really leads to a lot of um, that push-pull, especially with teenagers that we want to end. Um, compulsive behavior and, um, and, and whatnot, obviously, is an issue for us. And then financial instability. And again, that ripple effect of too much chaos, didn't get to things, and poor impulse control and lost items. So what are the first things I want to say is um, I really, really um, encourage people to learn as much as you can. Um, there's a lot of sort of a fire drill mentality that happens um, in a family where there's an ADHD parent. And um, that fire drill mentality and the missing of the morning bus for the kids, um, unfortunately, we kind of have to put our oxygen mask on first and look at how we do things. Um, and one of the big things that can help with that is really understanding how behavior changes. So first, I'm sort of challenging all of you to think about it as you kind of have to look at your own behaviors, not just maybe the ADHD child or just the children in general or, or teenagers. And then the other um, thing that I would say to you is, you know, my favorite time of the year is March. Um, my least favorite time of the year at my gym is January because in January, everyone sets goals and they come into the gym and they're all there and it's packed and you can't get a treadmill. But by March, it's empty. And why I bring this up is that um, it's really hard to change behaviors. And we have to realize that as we kind of approach this, not only with our children, but also with ourselves. Um, there have been studies that show, um, and the software industry does this so well, where they look at changing behaviors in, in more in one behavior at a time, more in isolation of parts of your day, rather than saying, I'm going to change everything at once, which is, I think, sort of the danger of that New Year's resolution. Um, and part of this is um, you're trying to change a behavior and form new habits. Well, to form new habits, you, you form a new neuropathway in your brain, and it literally is like forming a path between two yards. If you ever did that as a kid where you roved between two yards and the path would get beaten down. And there's evidence that it takes 30 to 60 days to create a new habit. So for us, that's very difficult because often we you know, don't last 30 to 60 days. But part of the reason we don't last 30 to 60 days and that I encourage people to really look at low-hanging fruit, things that you can change, dividing change into parts of your day. Look at the morning or the afternoon or my client's choke point of the shoes and work on the shoes. Don't work on every single aspect of your life um, and encourage and partner with your spouse to try to make that known and communicate about that goal because if you just work on the shoes, your chances of success skyrocket and, and that's something that we really want to think about. Um, it's really important not to feel overwhelmed. People come to my office with a list of things to change about a kid, and it's like four pages long. Well, if we can't stay at the gym for more than three months, it's going to be really hard for anyone to change that much. Um, the other thing is trying to find reinforcement of goals. So in your handouts um, are some accountability strategies. And looking at 
one of the things that create chaos. So here's another little chart for you. This is also in the handout, which is can you diagnose what are your biggest household stressors, right? What causes that fire drill or that ripple effect rather than trying to look at absolutely everything? Um, what is it that causes, you know, the most chaos and also causes you the most emotional stress? And then what patterns does that demonstrate? And if you look at those patterns, now you're isolating an area to try to change. Um, I had a situation two winters ago where we had a really tough winter in the Northeast, and my dog kept jumping over our fence because the fence was not high enough. That would have been what I put down, right? It was causing me stress every single day. I'd be on a phone call, I'd be with a client, and I'd hear the dog go into the neighbor's yard to visit his, his girlfriend's dog. Um, I would say the shoe point for my client. Other clients of mine, the kid misses the bus every day. Now they have to drive the child to school. They're late to work. So those kind of things, this form is meant to help you get clarity around that. So one of the really simple ways to sort of diagnose things is called the five whys. And it's really meant to look at and see patterns. Um, a client of mine um, came to me and she was saying her son always missed karate and part of it was making her furious because she's paying for karate. But rather than look just at the kid's behavior, looking at those patterns, um, another client of mine, the example I'm going to give of the five whys is she said she would end up at the end of the day every day, no matter what, screaming and angry. And so this is what you do with the five whys. I, would, I said, why? And she said, I, I, was, I was just so drained. I would end up sweaty and angry and emotionally, you know, drained and yelling at the kids. And I said, why? And she said, because the whole thing devolved during homework time and we wouldn't have food on time and then everybody's blood sugar got low and they got really angry. And I said, why? And she said, because we were doing too much and my son and daughter take too long and they don't shift and so we don't get out of the house on time. And I said, okay, why? And she said, because... We, I don't have everything packed up, and I leave work late, and then I'm home late. And I said, why? And she said, well, because I do one more thing. So if what you can see is it's just really simple to look at the whys behind everything. And so if you're looking to change something about the way your family is running, maybe do the five whys, look at your stressors, and that way you can target something. And again, this is the thing we have to put on the oxygen mask first. Um, children learn behaviors. We have long studies on this. They're modeling and observation. So um, maybe your, your grandmothers have said things like monkey see, monkey do. And the fact is when a little kid learns to climb stairs or do anything, if you remember, they imitate. So one of the big things is that we want to model really good behaviors for our kids. But also, we all learn behavior through this exposure 
rehearsal, reenacting, self-correcting, and then generalizing. Um, environment has a tremendous effect on ADHD. It's called situational variability, and it's really this idea that situations shape and affect us. So as you're looking at your five whys, you want to look at, okay, if I know how behavior changes and I know that it's through modeling and I know that it's something I have to practice and self-correct and then try again the next day and sort of banish that black and white thinking that gets us where we say, oh, well, yesterday was a disaster, so I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, one of the things to consider if you're looking at changing behaviors in others as well is the situational variability and how that affects ADHD symptomology as well as um, the thought that telling is the least effective way to shape behavior. So part of this is um, we have to take care of our own issues. We have to seek knowledge, what you're doing, and we have to look at what's called front-end interventions, which really means strategies that look proactively at things. So we have to look at what's getting in the way and what strategies can we implement. And this is hard because we have a lack of future thinking, um, but one of the big things we have to think about is how our behavior affects their behavior. So my emotional reactions affect the children. And if we pause and we pay attention to your children and what their behaviors bring out in you or your spouse or your coworkers, we're going to look for triggers. And the triggers, it just are a, a, an emotional reaction, a very strong emotional response to a situation or event um, or person. So. Basically, part of what I'm sort of encouraging you to do is pay attention to what's happening and also what's happening in your body, what's happening in your um, emotions, how are you feeling about these certain things, and, and then how is, is that affecting your communication? Because a lot of what we're dealing with as ADHD parents, especially since this is such a genetic component, is that our children, men, some of them have ADHD. So we're dealing with a lot of chaos and a lot of um, emotion. And, you know, the fact is yelling doesn't work. If it did, um, <laughs> we'd all be... Um, we'd all be done, but it doesn't, and telling doesn't just work. So part of why I'm focusing on communication um, is that we want to look at how is it that certain things affect us. So this is the cognitive behavioral triangle, and you can use this as you're trying to communicate and make some change. And the, the idea is that our thoughts um, affect how we feel and how we act. Then, because of those thoughts, it affects our behavior. And then our emotion affects what we think and do. So I'm just going around the triangle, and that affects our thoughts. So here's an example. Um, the, uh, a few examples. Uh, a client of mine would come home from working all night as a nurse, and her 22-year-old with ADHD who was struggling in young adulthood would be asleep on the couch. And it would trigger her. She would have a very strong emotional reaction um, because she was upset and she had worked really hard. So what happened there was her thoughts and her triggers 
affected her. And then you go into behavior. She would wake him up. They would have a lot of arguments because she was emotionally upset. The emotions would come into play, and it would create this horrible cycle. So when we talk to our kids and to our spouse, et cetera, we have to remember that um, there are a lot of um, emotions that are coming into play. And how we communicate can often lead and accentuate these struggles that we're having with the piles and the stuff and the fire drill. Um, so another factor here is that um, we are, you know, having these different reactions to our kids' behavior. So, for instance, I have a kid who um, we're trying to work on not using the iPad as much, um, a student of mine, and he crawls like a ninja in the night to his mom and dad's bedroom and takes the iPad when it's been confiscated. And they're asleep, so they don't know. So the reaction the parents have is very extreme because they've told him no. Well, here's the thing. Ask yourself, how is what you're doing working out? And when you nag more, does it happen? So one of the things that I can't stress enough is the benefits of um, trying to communicate using um, open questions and recognizing your own boiling points. So what are the things that make you upset? What are the things that cause all this stress and emotion in your house? And um, how do you walk away at times? And also, how do you problem solve with your family for some of these things? Um, and one of the things that really can help is, um, again, we'll go back to our friend, the Cognitive Behavioral Triangle, um, open questions. So just try it. Today, tomorrow, try inviting your kids to problem solve with you and just using open questions. Um, what happened? How did you feel? What was the end result? So if you use who, what, and how questions, you often get a lot of information and a lot of perspective. And that, that works often better than telling. And so all this is just part of how to communicate and then hopefully end some of these cycles. Another big factor is um, a technique called reflective listening. So this is the idea of paraphrasing um, the, the message um, to the speaker. And the idea really is that rather than when your kid um, says something to you and you feel triggered or if they are... Um, you know, talking to you and you you just want to tell them, right, and this leads to conflict, instead of saying, you know, a lecture or I've told you or dismissing, um, to just recap. So, I hate going to school, I have no friends and everything is stupid. Recap. You sound like you're feeling that you really hate school and you're left out. I do hate school. Like, makes my day so hard. It sounds like you're upset that something happened. So often with ADHD kids, there's a lot of emotion involved. And with our own families, the more you can change the way you communicate, um, the more you can help the family look at those choke points like the shoes, the fire drills, the missing the bus, um, karate, having these issues where 
everybody's kind of um, at loose ends. And, and like my client who came to me and said she really couldn't stand it anymore because she really felt like every night ended up in these screaming battles. Part of what I'm trying to help you with in a short amount of time is how do you use some of these communication techniques to help you along the way since you've now looked at what are the things that are causing some, what are the root causes? Okay, now that you know some root causes, how do you communicate your way through a lot of this chaos? So, for instance, um, homework is a huge issue for ADD kids. Okay, so how do we manage through homework? Part of that is asking questions and finding out what goes on and brainstorming. Um, so these communication techniques are meant to help with that. Um, also, knowing your own unique brain wiring and that we have to make things fun. We have to look at um, what we can do to um, ignite and, and arouse our own brains. Um, Dr. Barkley, who I think is an incredibly smart man, said ADHD is not a problem of knowing what to do. It's a problem of doing what you know. Um, so I'm not saying any of this is easy. Um, in your handout, um, I, I got this from a consultant who said that <clears throat> the big uh, key to an action plan is clarity about the one thing you're ready to change. That was some really great information that you shared, so we will begin our Q&A section shortly. As a reminder to our participants, you can submit your questions using the question box, and we hope to answer as many questions as possible. So our first question actually came in really early during the presentation, and we have a stay-at-home dad who, with ADHD, and he has two sets of twins, and he's having trouble living into his wife's expectations of a clean house. So he's wondering if you can add any specific advice into dealing with those expectations and um, cleaning the house as well. Yes, actually, it's uh, it's uh, timely that this dad has asked this question. I love this question. So um, I think that there's a couple things. So it's multifaceted. One is what gets in the way. Um, and the other thing is, you know, none of us are going to be perfect. So asking your spouse, what does she need to feel the house is not draining her energy? And then looking for at your at, for yourself as the stay-at-home dad with two sets of twins, my gosh, I can barely handle one, one little toddler and a seven-year-old, which is um, how... What is it that you need in order to function? So, you know, my belief is sort of chaos in the mind. Um, if we have chaos in our environment, it can really affect us. On the other hand, kids are messy. Uh, you know, they just are. So I think part of this is, like, what's causing systemic problems that are getting in the way versus um, what is just, you know, can be left or can be sort of tolerated in a daily basis. And I would, again, use those open questions. Rather than telling, I would ask, you know, what do you think is getting in the way? What do you think um, you just can't tolerate? It drains your energy. And then the other thing I would, I would say to you as an ADD dad is, what can you do to make this fun? You know, can you put on music and clean the dishes? Can you go for a run and then attack one part of a room? Um, so part of this is um, can the family engage in some behaviors that, they, that become a habit, like cleaning up on Sunday nights together, 
um, so that it's not just you. Um, uh, Chris Dendy always did a great diagram where she would um, divide the room into quadrants and then ask people to clean only one of the corners one of the quadrants, and I do that with kids all the time, but I do that as an adult myself. Um, obviously, it's great to keep everything up, but with, you know, young kids, sometimes it's really hard, and I would try to use those questions, and how can you make it fun, because the more we can ignite or, or arouse our ADD brain, the better off we'll be. We have someone who would love to know more about fire drills, so can you elaborate on that? Sure. That's just a word I, I use for sort of these um, these ADD problems that we have, where we end up um, putting our all our attention on one area, and then we end up having to really quickly compensate and just run after other areas. So, um, an example is, you know, when um, ADHD kids are in school, a very common pattern in college is that they spend all their energy on one subject and then all the other subjects start to fall apart. Um, and part of it is that all or nothing thinking and part of it is just that managing of multiple tasks that are driven by executive function that's really hard for us. So what I mean by fire drills are things that you end up, that end up burning and you know, maybe if they had been done a little bit at a time or had been taken care of, it wouldn't have become this explosive situations. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that um, I really work with a lot of clients on is how do we manage things so that the pot doesn't boil over? That's what I mean by fire drills. It's just an expression that I use, but um, I definitely understand. Um how people are, are struggling with that. Okay, thank you. Um, now we also have somebody who is asking about getting rid of all of the clutter. Um, so do you have maybe the first three things they could they could do to start sorting out the clutter? Yes, one of the great things too about clutter and cleaning and all these things is that often people with ADD do very well when we have what's called a body double. And that means someone there who holds us and helps shadow us and create accountability. So my analogy about a body double is when I'm in the gym and I'm on the treadmill, if someone is running next to me, I don't want them to think that I can't run fast, so I run faster. Um, one of the things that, that a lot of ADD people start with around clutter is to um, have a body double, have someone else whose presence is around and you can, um, you know, build from there. A second thing is I would look at um, how do you address the clutter that's building up, not just the systemic backlog of clutter, but is it male? Is it something that's happening that you're not dealing with on a daily basis that's leading to that? And try to start addressing one or two of those things. The, the last thing is um, a lot of ADD people really struggle with throwing things out. So this is a little revolutionary, but can you let control go a little bit and have someone else help you um, or you yourself make some choices to throw some things out? We can scan into the computer. We even can have scanners on our phones nowadays. Um, but the, the clutter, um, I think, 
builds up and by getting rid of some of it, I, I really feel like it, it alleviates some of the stressors in the environment and allows us to function better because otherwise we can't find anything. Great, thank you. We now have a question. Um, we're coming from a parent who is wondering how they can help people who work with their children on a short-term basis. So for example, like a coach of a sports team they're on or a summer camp counselor. Um, so how can a parent really help to these individuals understand key challenges and give them maybe some strategies in working with their child? That's a great question. I actually really advocate folks doing this, and we're about to enter camp season, so I completely can see where this question comes from. Um, part of, I think, what would be a great way to do this is to um, be a little bit of a detective and figure out, just based on any knowledge you have, if you have any, how this person likes to communicate. And if you know that there's someone who you could maybe catch at a certain time and ask to speak to them privately, then to share a little bit of information with them there. A lot of people communicate via email. I would say don't make it a very, very long email because um, people get turned off by that and that's something a lot of the parents I work with struggle with is just you start this email and it becomes this you know huge huge email I would I would absolutely um, take the person as the coach aside I do this with my own daughter with ADHD and privately just say hey I just wanted to give you a heads up make it light um, that you may notice that my child struggles with ADHD. Um, here's a couple places it's come up in the past, right? So don't give them the entire history of the world. That's something a lot of us end up doing. It's not necessary, and I think it kind of turns people off. So remember, um, maybe to rehearse a little bit, where you're just going to tell them two or three ways in which the ADHD challenges might show up in their particular sports. And then... You know, being very kind, people really appreciate it. Give them a compliment. You know, my child loves the Cub Scouts. And just, I'm not asking you to do anything special, but if you're struggling with him or her, here's a couple things that work. So I'll give a personal example, if that's okay. My daughter is a swimmer. She's a great little kid. She's seven and a half, but she is. ADHD, and often I notice she doesn't listen, and I can hear them calling her name over and over again in the pool to focus. So I've done this with her coach. I gave him a heads up, and I just said, you know, sometimes if you put her in a lane without her friends, she can focus better. She really loves swim. She really wants to do well, and she's told me that it's challenging for her. I'm always here is another thing I always say. I'm always here. I if you have anything you need to talk to me about or you need my support around, I'm totally here. Keep it light and remember just two or three things, not the entire history of the child ADHD, just a couple things that pertain. But I think it's a really, really, really good idea. And if it's a camp, um, often you can um, email them or try to talk to them ahead of time and just give them a heads up on something that works that they might um, not be aware of and that way you're a supportive partner um, and people really respond well to that tone. Thank you, that's great. Um, we have a couple of questions coming in about uh, family, family situations where 
the spouse and at least one child has ADHD. And so in this specific question, um, they're wondering, the husband has ADHD, the son has ADHD, and the husband gives the son advice all the time, screams at him, and so um, the the spouse is wondering how can how can they help their husband let go of the little things and concentrate on bigger issues. I, this is a very common issue. You're not alone at all. Um, I uh, go to the Chad conference every year, and when I go, I always run into moms because I love to chat with moms and dads where this is the issue and this is why they're there. So the first, first, first thing I would say is the more you can help your spouse get educated. Um, or have someone else in your community or in your life who they value, um, encourage them toward this education, the better off you'll be because like, um, you know, I have a job because kids don't listen to their parents and they work with me and they listen to me even if their parents have said this a million times. It's so much easier with a spouse when it comes from someone else. So the education and having them attend webinars like this and um, get educated will really help because part of um, what really, really works well is it seems like you know with ADHD kids is to pick your battles. Um, they're already under tremendous strain and to sort of put yourself in their shoes and understand that um, they would if they could, right? They really do have good intentions even if it doesn't always show up. Um, and I think that with all kids, I'm a Ross Green person. Dr. Ross Green always says kids do well if they can, and I think they do. So I would try with first some education. Um, then I would try having a private talk, not in front of the kids. Don't make him wrong, um, where you ask, is what he is doing working? Because part of what I think we all have to do as parents at the end of one of these battles that erupts for all of us is just look at what we're doing. And, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but we all do it. And, you know, kids are wonderful, but they're challenging. So um, looking at trying to help him with the education and then asking him using those open questions again so that he doesn't feel attacked privately, you know, how does this feel for you? And often, you know, parents who are ending up in these battles don't feel good about it. And also, I hate to say it, but we can only change ourselves. So um, I think you're on the right track. It's just it's hard. Thank you. Um, what about we have another kind of somewhat similar situation, but where a parent has ADHD, a child has ADHD as well, and the family has started to get, um, you know, some different treatment for their son, some therapy, but the spouse, the adult with ADHD is feeling that they can work on things on their own and isn't really open to getting a coach or a professional. Um, what do you sort of say to people in this situation, um, you know, that they're specifically wondering should they try to encourage their, their partner to, you know, seek outside help or, you know, really encourage them to work on it on their own? Um, I think, you know, there are definitely spouses um, who have ADHD that will not get help, and, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a tough journey, but um, I would absolutely encourage that spouse to seek help because we're all trying to model behaviors, and a tact you might take is that the more we as adults seek help, and there's all kinds of research around this um, to do with 
um, how kids learn things, the more they see us seek help, try to implement change, try to struggle and, and make those changes, the more they're likely to go for help. The other thing is if your son or daughter with ADHD um, is seeing a coach or someone, um, that's another back door because um, often when I, I call myself a family coach because often when I coach a child, I, I parent coach. I work with the families. And so in a situation like that, um, especially if um, the dad or mom's ADHD is kind of getting in the way of helping the kid, I often ask to help or work with the adult or at least have some sessions where we talk about what's going on and and that often leads to them getting some help. So um, that's another avenue that you could take, um, not just make the person feel forced, but just to sort of take the approach of we're all in this journey, we all have things we can work on, um, but it is hard. I know that it's hard, and in many, many cases, um, people will not seek help when they need it, um, and, um, you know, we, we do the best we can in those situations, but that is one sort of back door that parents often implement. Great. Thank you. Um, we're now going to switch topics a little bit. So for our really young children, parents who have children around preschool age, um, do you have any tips for communicating with preschoolers with ADHD, um, specifically how to get to the root cause of, my, of what might be causing emotional outbursts? I absolutely do. Um, preschoolers are some of my favorite kids, and um, uh, it's there's a lot of tools out there. One of the things is that um, you know, with emotion, um, and it, sometimes there's lagging um, lagging skills in terms of verbalization. Kids have to recognize the emo- how you teach self regulation. They have to recognize the emotion in their body, name it to tame it, which means name it, be able to express what the emotion is, and create a release for that emotion. An incredible tool that works really well, and it's a curriculum. You can buy it. You can use Pinterest to get activities, and it works really well, and kids love it. It's called the Zones of Regulation, and um, it's a wonderful, wonderful tool, um, and it is by Leah Kuypers, K-U-Y-P-E-R-S. Another really good tool is called Five Might Make Me Lose Control, um, and it's by Carrie Dunn-Baron, and if anybody needs to email me for these names, I'm totally happy to do that. Um, I am a coach for social thinking, so that's the idea that we all have thoughts about each other, and it's something you can use for social skills as well as for um, children with autism and ADHD. Um, and um, again, the whole idea behind all of these tools is that we work with kids to identify their emotions. And where the zones is really great for little kids is that they're color coded. So, like red is really angry, and um, yellow is getting upset. And that way, you can use your open questions and you can say, What zone are you in right now? And they can start to identify, and they don't feel upset that you're doing this because it's fun. It's color-coded. And you can age up the zones, by the way, for those of you listening who are thinking. um, And that's really just about taking your kid's emotional temperature and looking at where are you emotionally right now. And, again, it's using those rating scales where you're sort of saying five would make me 
be losing control, where am I right now? Um, and there's tons and tons of tools. So um, if anybody needs to email me, I'm, I'm more than happy to send them. But the zone deregulation is a great one. Thank you. What a great recommendation. Um, we have a couple of questions. People are really wondering, um, how do they find a couch? How do they find a couch for themselves as an adult with ADHD or their child? Um, is there somewhere they can look? Do you have any suggestions or things that you could tell people? Sure. Um, first off, um, the good news is that there's more coaches than there were before, and, and hopefully um, we're growing the number. Um, you want someone who is from a certified coaching organization, okay? So they so they gave my credentials at the very beginning, and this is just a tip. Um, the International Coach Federation, um, as well as the ADHD Coach Association, um, will list certified people, not just people who've decided to hang out their shingle. That's that's number one. That's really important. Um, two, um, there are professional directories. So um, if you go to the ADD Coach Academy, um, which is addca.com, there is a listing of certified professional coaches. Um, if you go to the ACO, which is the Attention Deficit Coaching Organization, there are certified coaches. Um, if you are looking for um, other resources, Chad also has listings of professionals, um, as well as um, if you're looking for um, folks in your local community, often um, your school might have the names of some people. Often they're afraid to um, be a huge referral source because they don't want to have to pay for things, but um, often the school counselor does know people in the community, um, and they might be able to help you. But those organizations um, definitely have listings of coaches. Thank you. I'm sure that's really helpful. We had a number of questions coming in about finding a coach. Um, we have an adult who's been diagnosed with ADHD, and they have some young adult children, college age and high school age children. Um, so as a, as a parent who has older children and you're just getting diagnosed with ADHD, any recommendations on how to tell them um, about your new diagnosis? Um, yeah, this is, this is interesting. So when people talk about diagnoses, it, it's kind of um, hard and, and people are often nervous. Um, I think that um, in many cases, you know, I advocate role-playing a little bit. So um, Dr. Roberto Olivaria, who's I'm sure a, a guest here, he's definitely does Chad um, presentations, had a great article in Attention Magazine where he talked about um, doing some role-play when you talk about how you've been diagnosed, and he called it an ignorance protection plan, which I love. Um, with your own family, even, I'm not calling them ignorant, but you want to just role-play and practice a little bit so that you feel comfortable. And one of the great ways to talk about it is in an intimate setting, one-on-one -on -one or with both college-age daughters, um, without it being something that you talk about in a big public setting. And I would just say, I've been on this journey, I've been struggling with, and you can name certain things, and I'm really excited to tell you that I found out what's been going on all these years. Um, I hope for you that it's an exciting thing because, honestly, there's a lot of um, 
really um, mysterious ways that our brain works. And, um, you know, Michelle Garcia Winner loves to say some things your brain makes easy and some things that your brain makes hard. And I think with um, adults, and actually, by the way, a lot of adults um, in your age group are getting diagnosed for the first time, um, it, it's really a what's been going on all these years, and now I have a reason. And that's how I would frame it. I would talk about, without going into a huge history, what are the things that have challenged you, and now you know, and you're on this journey. Um, but I, I would say it's a gift you have to unwrap, and it's it's really something that I would think, I would bet um, a lot of us suspected. Um, I have an aunt who just got diagnosed, and, um, you know, we all kind of suspected, but I think it's, it's really wonderful that you're taking that journey. Thank you. Um, we have a parent who they've been trying to improve their child's behavior by setting consequences, and they've been working on this for about nine months now and haven't really seen any improvements. So they're wondering what are maybe some of the next steps they could try. Okay. So this is a very common struggle that um, – parents with ADHD have, and I'm so glad you asked this question. It's a great question. Um, consequences actually don't change behavior, but it's really hard because that's what we're taught, right, that you that you consequence the child. We consequence the child to let them know that their behavior is not what we want. But I'm going to reframe everything, and I, I'm going to try to be as succinct as possible because this, is, this could be a, like a three-hour webinar in and of itself. But basically, um, when kids don't have the skills to give you the expected behaviors that you're looking for, no matter how much we consequence them, no matter how many reward charts we make, they kind of can't make it happen. So reframe this a little bit and think about, can this child make happen what you want them to make happen? And if we look at it from the perspective of what Ross Green calls lagging skills, that's skills that we just don't have, right, then now we need to look at building those skills. So rather than consequencing, looking at what are the skills, and actually um, if you go to livesandbalance.com, um, Dr. Ross Green has literally an assessment you can use to look at what are the skills that the child lacks? And then looking more toward the skill building. The other thing, too, is to have a really open dialogue in, a, in time when the kid and you are not upset to talk about what is it that is going on. Um, you know, I, I would even really be honest. I feel like I, you know, am giving you too many punishments. Nothing's really changing. And then speak in very neutral terms about here are the issues I see and ask them what's going on for them. The last thing, and again, this could be like a whole day seminar, but um, the last thing to remember is often kids don't have any idea how to demonstrate the behaviors we want them to. So we tell them to be better friends or be less hyper or get it together. And they really don't know how to make that happen. And they don't quite know what that looks like. So think about that too. What is it that you're looking for? And really, is this child clear or teenager even on what it is 
that they need to demonstrate. And again, I go back to sort of the role play, and this is just because it's proven it works. Um, what can you do as you're working with this child to build up the skills to show them, and this is a huge part of what my book is about, demonstrate and guide them what is it that you're looking for and catch them being good, right? They go in the bathroom, they do it once where they brush their teeth or they, you know, do something that you've been desiring, make a huge deal about it and tell them this is what I'm looking for. Um, because I, I also think a lot of times we consequence, we consequence, but they're not really clear how to get there. Um, I hope that makes sense. It's a really big topic, but um, it's a really important thing to understand. And we were all brought up with consequences, but a lot of us, well, I did, but, you know, if you didn't have ADHD, it was, I think, a lot easier to change your behavior. If you do have ADHD, it's a lot harder because a lot of times there's a bunch of things going on. Great. Thank you. I know that was a big big question to tackle. Um, well, we are coming to our last question, and it's about adults who have ADHD, and it's wondering about sort of three related behaviors, so tips on how to motivate themselves and stop procrastinating and then stay consistent within an activity. So do you have some tips on those related um, actions? Yes. So. <clears throat> Really quickly, um, we with ADHD have an under-aroused brain, okay? So everyone thinks a lot of us are hyper, that we have um, an overstimulated brain. And actually, that's not true. Our brain is under-aroused because we don't have enough dopamine and sometimes neuropinephrine, and we're not making those connections in the brain, okay? One of the big ways to end procrastination and to start being able to move forward is to figure out how to, what I call, ignite your brain. So, um, again, this could be like an entire day's presentation, but what is it that you do that's fun and interesting for you, and how can you use that to rev up your brain? So I'll just give a, a personal example. When I'm going to do an attention talk radio show with a really um, challenging guest um, and I feel sleepy and dull, I go for a run beforehand. Um, someone who spoke at the Chad conference last year gave a great tip where he does jumping jacks before he goes into a boring presentation. Um, it's really about stimulating your brain, making things more interesting and more fun. And then the last sort of broad tip is um, doing things in small, measurable tasks so that it's not I have to clean this entire house. It's I'm starting with the kitchen counters. And again, really trying to ignite your brain because the more our brain is stimulated, the more we can focus. Thank you. Well, that was our last question for today. So we hope that you've enjoyed this edition of our presentation. I want to thank you, Ms. McGuire, for your insights and suggestions. And thank you to all of our participants for joining us today. This concludes.